to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. When the judgment finally comes down, God will be vindicated when the judgment comes down. There will not be a single voice in all the universe that would say, well, this isn't fair. This shouldn't be this way. This is unjust. As a matter of fact, I believe that even the condemned will be in agreement at this point with their own condemnation. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Revelation. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, in a message titled, The Final Judgment. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Might I say that this is probably the most sobering portion of Scripture that there is. Really, really sobering. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So just to set things in their chronological order based upon what the book is telling us here, as we come to chapter 11 of verse 20, the thousand-year reign of Christ, which will begin at the end of the Great Tribulation, that thousand-year reign of Christ has now come to a conclusion. And so for 1,000 years, Jesus is going to reign upon the throne of David and over the house of Jacob, over the whole world from the city of Jerusalem. But at the end of the thousand years, there will be a brief rebellion. Again, in our chronological context here, the final rebellion has been put down and Satan has been cast into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet have already been. And so at this point, we stand on the threshold of the eternal age. And the things that will happen after this are the the creation of a new heaven and a new earth, and then all of the, the details of how that will just play itself out eternally. And, and so that's the, the order of things here. But before we move into looking at the, the eternal age, there's this one final issue that is dealt with, and that is the judgment. So it is the final judgment that we are looking at as we consider verses 11 through 15 of chapter 20. That all men are finally and ultimately accountable to God is the message of the Bible from start to finish. That there is 
a day coming in which God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ is an inescapable fact. So like I said, this is such a sobering text. And it's one of those things that we probably would rather just sort of read it over, maybe skim over it, but not think too much about it. But it's really important that we give serious, serious thought to these things here. Because of course, many, many people have, and many people still do today, they reject the idea that there is any kind of a future judgment, and they comfort themselves with false ideas. They comfort themselves with uh, ideas like there is no God. Therefore, obviously, there is no judgment. They say that when you die, you die, you cease to exist. There's nothing beyond the grave. That's the mentality of many in our culture today. Others might not go so far as to take an atheistic position, but others would say, well, even if there is a God, of course, he's a God of love, and he's never going to really judge anybody in the sense of sending anyone to hell eternally. Uh, Others might say if there really is a judgment, surely it is only for the truly evil people. And they might say, and you know, I'm not that bad of a person. As a matter of fact, you know, I'm I'm a pretty good person, at least uh, in comparison to others. But these ideas, although they're quite prevalent in the minds of many, these ideas uh, cannot alter the truth that there is a day of reckoning coming for all people. And like I said, this is the message of the Bible from the beginning to the end. The prophets said it, Jesus said it, the apostles said it. It is one of the the themes of scripture that there is a final judgment day for each and every person. Let me give you some examples from the scripture. Daniel chapter 12, verse two. And and this is just one example from the prophets. There are many others that we could uh, refer to. But Daniel chapter 12, verse two says, many who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. So Daniel is being given a, a vision of things that are going to happen at the end. Jesus He himself spoke of a coming day of judgment. Jesus warned those cities that he had done most of his mighty works in. Uh, The three cities that he names are Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. And he says to each of those cities, he said it would be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon. It would be more tolerable even for Sodom on the day of judgment than it will be for you. So Jesus points to a specific day of judgment. Paul, the apostle speaking uh, to the philosophers on Mars Hill in Athens, he said this, he said, God has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising that man from the dead. And then Paul, a bit later, as he was giving his defense before the Judean governor, Felix, 
it says that Paul reasoned with Felix about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. So my point is simply that this is what the Bible teaches. Now, of course, there are people today who say, well, you know, the Bible doesn't really teach that there's a judgment coming. I don't know what Bible they're reading, but obviously it's not the the Bible that we all have because it doesn't matter what version you happen to read, it all is essentially telling us the same thing. And this has been the belief of the church from the very earliest days. You know, in the early days of the church, seeking to kind of encapsulate the, the overall teaching of the gospel they developed what are known as as the creeds. And so you have a a number of different creeds. It just sort of summarized what the message of the gospel was. You have the Athanasian Creed. You have the Nicene Creed. You have uh, the Apostles' Creed. They're all very similar. But in each one of the creeds, interestingly, they made it clear that part of the overall picture of the message that Christ brought was that there would be a day of judgment. Let me read to you from the Apostles' Creed. It says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into Hades, The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. So this was was clear in all of those ancient creeds, of course, drawing on what scripture said, that there would be a final day of judgment. Now, what Daniel was talking about, those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. What Jesus was talking about when he said, on judgment day, what Paul was talking about when he said, God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness and so forth, that all of those are references to this event that we're reading about here in Revelation. This is the final judgment. And so what we want to do is we want to just sort of break down the passage and look at some of the details of the final judgment, beginning with what John described as seeing a great white throne. A great white throne. Now, in the book of Revelation, you have a lot of symbolic language. In the, and, and what I mean by symbolic is that, you know, th- certain things are used to speak about um, things in... in a little more detail than they have, than they might just naturally appear. So a white throne. Okay, so a, a white throne. Well, okay, it's a white throne. But no, white is symbolic. White means something. The fact that it's a white throne speaks of the fact that God judges the world in holiness, righteousness, and purity. That is the standard. So the white throne, the fact that it's white, is reminding us that this judgment of God is an absolutely righteous judgment. It's an absolutely holy judgment. It's an absolutely pure judgment. So there's nothing unjust. There's no inequity. There's there's no unfairness. As, As Paul said, 
God will judge the world in righteousness. And, and this is the thing that we need to know even at, at this stage. We need to know that when it's all said and done, when the judgment finally comes down, God will be vindicated when the judgment comes down. There will not be a single voice in all the universe that would say, well, this isn't fair. This shouldn't be this way. This is unjust. As a matter of fact, I believe that even the condemned will be in agreement at this point with their own condemnation. And so it is the great white throne. And notice what it says. It says, before whose face, speaking of the one who sat up on the throne, God, before whose face heaven and earth fled. Heaven and earth fled. Now, the Bible in different places tells us about God and his glory, how his glory is so great that we as people could not actually endure his presence and survive because of the greatness of his glory. Back in the time of Moses, Moses who had a very unique and a special relationship with God where the scripture even refers to Moses having sort of like face-to-face conversations with God. At a certain point, Moses says to God, he says, Lord, if I found favor in your sight, show me your glory. What Moses is asking for is he's asking to see God in his true essence, like just without any kind of veiling, without any filtering. He, he's just saying, God, I, I want to see you for who you are in, in all of your glory. And the Lord's response is, Moses, no one can see me and live. To see God would be to be utterly consumed. It reminds me of what Paul said in writing to Timothy. He said that our Lord Jesus Christ will manifest in his own time who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. You know, sometimes people mistakenly think that when they have their day in court, so to speak, when they have their day before God to present their case, they are going to give God a piece of their mind. They're gonna tell God a thing or two. And you've probably heard people say that. I certainly have heard people say that. I've heard atheists, ironically, boast about what they're gonna say to God, the God who they say doesn't exist. (laughs) That's the irony. Uh, you know, the things that they're going to say to this God. But the fact of the matter is, no one's going to say anything. Because heaven and earth itself are going to flee from the very face of him who sits on the throne. The, The created universe, the material universe will vanish at the awful majesty of God. That's what's being spoken of here. And we know that this is a literal thing that's being talked about because as we move on from here, we have to have a new heaven and a new earth. Why? Because the first heaven and the first earth passed away. When did it pass away? When did it pass away? There when God sat up on the throne to judge. So this is the most awesome moment in all of history. And notice now it says that 
I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. I saw the dead, small and great. Every single person who has ever lived, and in this particular case, every person who has lived and died without faith in the one true God, those are the ones who are there before the throne. It's important that we make that distinction. No believer will participate in this judgment that is going to take place here. This is a a judgment that is exclusively for those who have refused to believe throughout all of the ages. So whether they are unknown or well-known, the dead, small, and great, those who were known only to their uh, immediate circle of family and friends, but all of the great men and women of the earth as well, all of the, the great uh, rulers, the pharaohs and the Caesars and all, all of those kinds of people and all of the great philosophical minds that have influenced people over the ages and all of the the celebrities, you know, all of the the well-known, the famous people, they will be there along with the completely obscure, those that were known only to their immediate circle of friends. They are the ones that are being referred to here, the dead, small and great. And notice it says that the sea Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. Now, this has puzzled people at times. They wonder, well, what, you know, what is this talking about? What does it mean that the sea gave up the dead? Well, this is telling us that at this judgment, the spirits of those who have died are going to be reunited with their bodies. The sea, all of those who have died at sea and their bodies have been cast into the sea over all of the long centuries. It's, it's just a way of referring to the fact that the body and the spirit are going to be reunited. So man is going to be judged at the great white throne in his original body. And they're as, as human beings in the sense that there's no longer a disconnect between the, the soul or the spirit and the body. They are now reunited. So death and hell are just a way of referring to the grave itself. And so these masses of people will there be assembled before the throne And this will no doubt be the most sobering moment in history. And for those standing there, the most horrifying experience possible. Now, listen, we have to think about this because this is is hard, cold reality. The person who dies in their sin, those are the ones who are going to be standing here at this throne to be judged. And like I said, this is so sobering because when you, when you think about it, you know, the moment a person dies, that is the end of opportunity. Opportunity for salvation, opportunity to be delivered from this day of judgment is available to us as long as we're breathing. But the moment a person dies, that opportunity is passed. And can you imagine, because every single soul, 
every single person that is gathered here, the billions of people that will be there on that day, these are the ones who squandered their opportunity for salvation and now have to face the reality of an eternal judgment. And as, as I thought about this, and it's, it's kind of frightening and painful to think of, but you think about it, you know, once death comes, that is the end of the opportunity. And it's an irreversible situation. It cannot be changed. So that's why the Bible urges us That's why there's this call that continues to go out. Behold, today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Because once we pass from this life into the next, we go beyond that point of no return. And that's what is being spoken of here. And so that, to me, is why it would be the most horrifying experience possible for all of those standing at the great white throne are there to receive their sentence of eternal separation from God. That's what's happening at this great white throne. This is not a place where it's gonna be decided whether somebody is going to go on into heaven or God's kingdom or however we wanna describe it. That's not happening here. That's already been determined. So everyone here is here to be eternally sentenced to an eternity of separation from God and all his goodness, love, and blessing. These are the damned, and this judgment is to show why they are damned. And so we read here that the dead, small and great, they stand before God, and books were opened. Books were opened, and... Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Now, what are these books? Notice it's books, plural. Well, we're told that one of the books is the the book of life. And later it's referred to as the Lamb's book of life. What are the other books? Well, one of them is obviously a book that records the deeds of all people because it says that they were judged out of the books according to their works. You know, we we oftentimes forget that there is no one and there never has been anyone that's getting away with anything because it's all being recorded. And although it might be overlooked today, because of injustice, perhaps, in our judicial system or just in the way the the world has worked. And there might be occasions where we look at a situation and we think, man, that is so unfair. That person, look what they did. Look what they got away with. The truth of the matter is no one is ever getting away with anything. It's all being recorded. And people are going to be judged based upon the things that they did. That is what we are told here. And as we look at the totality of scripture, what it comes down to is this. Every thought, every word, every deed are all being recorded. Jesus said an astounding thing. He said, every idle word that men may speak, they will give account of it 
in the day of judgment. The day of judgment he's talking about is the day that we're looking at here. He says, every idol For the month of August, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, Bullies and Saints, an honest look at the good and evil of Christian history by John Dixon. Would the world be better off without religion? Does religion really poison everything? Many people today believe the world would indeed be better off without religion, and Christianity would be at the top of the list for most. In his book, Bullies and Saints, John Dixon considers these questions through the lens of Christian history. He examines the different periods of the Christian church, from its founding in antiquity to the Middle Ages, the 20th century, and what we can learn from history today. This book will challenge your thinking about the Christian church that is worse and better than you ever imagined. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order Bullies and Saints, an honest look at the good and evil of Christian history by John Dixon. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Revelation. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.